unless something miraculous happens, which we have less time this service than we did in the first one, I won't be finishing this message <laughs> either. We came kind of close to the first service. That's all right. Um, those who are new and haven't been around here, we've been traveling through the book of Revelation, and we are in the second of the letters that John wrote to the churches, and this church is named Smyrna. Um, I'm going to give you a little backdrop, a little history of the city of Smyrna, and we'll start there. Smyrna, I got to say, man, there's some interesting names, yeah. right? Just interesting names. Um, but that's just for my own little funny thing I think is interesting. Smyrna is the next closest city to Patmos. John was on the Isle of Patmos as he's writing this letter. Um, it started with Ephesus, and you're going to see an order of Ephesus through Smyrna, and it starts close and keeps going out. It's following the Roman road. So this is the second of the cities closest to Patmos, and in the next in importance. Um, Smyrna was a seaport city. It was beautifully situated at the head of a bay about 40 miles northeast of Ephesus. Now, the city is still there today, but the seaport has been silted in, so there's no harbor there anymore. But the city's still there. Um, it was um, originally founded by Alexander the Great and is claimed as the birthplace of Homer. And because of its layout and architecture, it was considered one of the most beautiful cities in Asia, which is today modern-day Turkey. It was a wealthy city. It was very popular because of its science, its medicine, and amazing architecture. There were sacred festivals and games held there in Smyrna because it had a stadium that could hold 20,000. And for years, it was the site for games, and it was the site where many Christians were executed. The chief goddess of Smyrna was Sybil, and her temple was the largest in the city. Isn't that sad? Her followers marked a day when they would cut themselves, dancing in a frenzy. I want to stop for a second. I just want you to understand that the spirits that are on this earth today are very old. There isn't some, we often think like we're facing new things. There's, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Um, there was cutting going on way back in Bible times. There was child sacrifice going on. There was homosexuality going on. There was mutilating bodies going on. These are the same spirits that are alive today. There's nothing new under the sun. They've just had 6,000 years of practice on people, following people's customs, seeing what they do, seeing the things that they can use to get us to stumble. Now, in saying that, I am so grateful that I serve a God who is way bigger and greater than all of those things. Amen. And we've been supplied with the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And we have an authority. The Lord has given us keys to the kingdom. And he says, whatever we bind on earth, whatever we lock shall be locked. And whatever we loose, whatever we open should be opened. Yes. Amen? So I'm not saying that to bring fear. I just want you to understand there's nothing new under the sun. You're not, we're not that special. It's not like, oh my gosh, you don't understand. It's the same things that have been happening for thousands of years. Same spirits. They just, they might present themselves a little different. They've gotten a little more sophisticated now. They've gotten a little more politically correct today. They've gotten a little more culturally acceptable today. But nonetheless, we're still sacrificing babies on altars. And America is one of the greatest countries in leading that. Now, you can call it, it's my choice of my body. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. 
scientifically, it's a different DNA. If it's your DNA, go ahead and cut it off. Cut your hand off. That's your DNA. Ram your head in the wall you want. That's your DNA. But you don't have a right to murder someone else. Same spirit behind that. Those same gods are still getting sacrificed to. False gods. So there was goddess worship and God worship and there's even Caesar worship. Now these followers of Sybil, they marked a day when they would cut themselves, dancing into a frenzy. The male priests would make themselves third gender. Nothing new under the sun. We think in this day and age, this is some new thing. No, this was happening way back then. Now guys, everyone's going to cringe here at this point. Um, they would, by making themselves third gender, meant they were neither male nor female anymore. So they didn't have anything that would consider them male. Smyrna was known for mediums, fortune teller priestesses that, would, that the spirits would speak through. This was very popular and common in Smyrna. Why am I sharing that? Because I want you to see that times haven't changed a whole lot. This church was situated smack dab in the middle of all kinds of stuff that was evil. It was dark. It was not right. That sounds like a good place for a church to be to me. Amen. Doesn't it? Yeah. Do you think the Lord was surprised? Oh, no. What are we going to do? <laughs> no, that church was smack dab right where they needed to be, right where God wanted them. Amen? They were that candlestick being light to a very dark world. Did that make them popular? Smyrna was a very political city. Sound familiar? Are, we, are you guys ready for this to be over? Good Lord. Smyrna was at the, the heap of, of political. They actually were the forerunners and leaders of having Caesar worship. They would literally, people would come and take a pinch of incense. Every year, you got a certificate for it. And you would take a pinch of, of, of uh, incense and place it on the altar. And you would only have to say these two words. They were, well, they were Greek words. It would be three words in our language. Caesar is Lord. It's pretty simple. Just see those, say those three words. Put this little incense on the altar. You just make a little sacrifice. Then you get your certificate, and all is well. You can buy, sell, trade, do everything you need to do. Just those little things. It was a very political city and housed many Christians who were poor and persecuted. The saints were poor in material things, but rich in their faith and love for the Lord. The Smyrna church was founded during Paul's stay at Ephesus, and it was the home of Polycarp. Polycarp was a bishop of Smyrna and pastor of Smyrna, and he learned at the feet of John, the apostle who wrote this book, and other disciples It became the pastor of the church in, in Smyrna, 156 AD. He pastored he didn't, Polycarp didn't have an easy time. This church didn't have an easy, like we do. We just come and go, sing kumbaya, praise the Lord, and we go about our business. This church was under heavy persecution. Polycarp was leading a church in a very dangerous time, and the church was facing tremendous persecution.
Polycarp ended up dying, which I'm going to share that story and coming up for not denouncing Christ. Now, the name of the church of Smyrna, last week we looked at the name of Ephesus, was darling one, or that was dearest, it was a term of endearment. This name, the church of Smyrna, is myrrh. Remember the gifts that were given to Jesus by the wise men. There was gold, frankincense, and myrrh were given as gifts to Jesus. And, and those represent, some scholars think lots of different things. I think it goes along these lines. Um, gold was given to kings. It was, a, it was a kingly gift. Frankincense was used in the anointing oils in the priesthood and, and was uh, represented Jesus as being priest. How many know he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and he is our high priest, the book of Hebrews tells us. Myrrh was very symbolic. It was used in anointing the dead bodies. That's what myrrh was used for. How many like to be your church represented with death? I like new life. Yeah. <laughs> I like new life. Smyrna wouldn't have been a great name. Smyrna was, was oh, myrrh. You instantly think of death because in that day, that's everyone used myrrh to cover and for embalming practices. Now, here's where it gets good. It gives off a sweet, sweet smell when it's crushed and when it's pressed. That's how you get that beautiful smell that comes out of myrrh. How many, how many of you, when, when you get pressed, when you get crushed, when you get squeezed, it's a sweet smell? Don't feel bad. I was, I was, looking, I was, I was looking for hope for somebody. There's someone out there who says, that's me. Now, that was Jesus. When Jesus was pressed and Jesus was crushed, and he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was placed upon him, and because of him, by his stripes, we are healed. When Jesus was pressed, when he was crushed, it was a sweet smell. The Father was well pleased. How many want to be like that? See, this is my, my desire to be when I'm squeezed, when I'm pressed, when I'm persecuted, that it would be a sweet smell. How many want to be like the Smyrna church? Yeah. Amen. The next thing about this passage of Scripture is I so love that Jesus identifies himself. You see in each, each of the churches, he gives a different name for himself. The name that he gives to this church, he says, I'm the first and the last who was dead and has come to life. He's, you're going to see as this letter goes on, he is putting himself in a position with them to say, I know where you're at. I know you. I know your name. He goes on to say, I know your tribulation and your poverty. How many would say, I'm so thankful that God knows those things? I don't know about you, but I've been through some stuff. And at times, just the fact that I know he knows brings a whole heck of a lot of peace. When you're praying, you might not hear a bunch of things, but you hear those words like, I see you. Or someone comes along and says, you know, I just felt the Lord want me to tell you that the Lord's proud of you. Oh, boy, that's amazing. He sees us. He knows us. So he knows this church. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. Now, the word in the Greek for tribulation here is thlipsen. You know what it means? It means a pressing together. Pressure. 
Wow. He says, I know that you're being pressed. I know that you're being pressured. I know that you're being squeezed. I know that you're being crushed. I know your tribulation. But Smyrna, you sure smell sweet. He goes on to say, I know your poverty. That poverty is a word, pochia. It's the state of one who has nothing at all. It implies, it implies that you're a beggar. There's two different Greek words used for poverty. There's one that we would say is like when you, you know, you're broke, but you, you, know, you got another paycheck coming. You're like, oh, I'm struggling this week. That's a, this is like, I'm a beggar. I don't have anything. This is how Jesus says, I know your tribulation and I know your poverty. That's for real. This church, this church wasn't prosperous. Jesus didn't tell us nowhere that I find in his teachings that he ever said, follow me and you'll be prosperous. Follow me and everyone's going to love you. How's that working out? Follow me. Everyone's going to like you because of me. No. How many's found that's quite the opposite? John 16.33 says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. That's where we need to be. In him. Do you know that's why he came to this earth? He joined himself with humanity so that he would be in us and we would be in him. That's what being a Christian looks like. I am in him and he is in me. That's a good place to be in him. He says, in me, you'll have peace. In the world, you'll have what? Tribulation. But take courage. I've overcome the world. Another way that this verse is, is said in other translations is basically says, I've overcome the world and my peace I give unto you. Aren't you excited by that? Yes. That means I, I didn't overcome the world. He overcame the world, and because he overcame the world, he gives me his peace for overcoming the world Amen. that I didn't overcome. That's why it's really good to be in him. Yes. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. Now, here's where lots of people get tripped up. They go, well, Pastor Steve, you were just saying we're not going to go through tribulation. Yes, I've been preaching that for months, and he, we are not going to go through the great tribulation. Jesus speaks of great tribulation. We're not going to go through great tribulation. We're not going to go through God's tribulation, God's wrath on this earth because we are his beloved. But the church will face tribulation because Jesus said we would. Why? Because they persecuted him. He said, they hate me, they'll hate you. They persecute me, they'll persecute you. You'll go through tribulation, but it will be tribulation from this world. Anyone sound familiar? Anyone had any partaking of that? If you haven't suffered any persecution for being a Christian, I don't know if you're doing it right. I'm being serious. That's not my goal. I'm not like, man, I just want to go out today and just suffer some persecution. Then I can say I'm identified with Jesus today. But I'll tell you what, if your goal is to be like Christ, it's going to happen. It's going to happen naturally. You won't have to try. If you just align your heart with his heart, you say the things that he says, just like Jesus, Jesus said, I do the things I see my father doing. I say the things I hear my father saying. If you just say what the father's saying and do what the father's doing, 
you're going to offend a large population of this planet. Second Timothy chapter three, verses 10 through 12. I'm just going to read verse 12. Maybe we'll get some time out of this. It says, Indeed, all who want to live in a godly way in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Yay! Indeed, all. That's just a little word. All who want to live. Who wants to live in a godly way in Christ? All of us. Well, if we live in that way in Christ, we will be persecuted. That's why I can say if we're not getting any persecution as a church or as a Christian, we're probably not doing it right. That's not my thought. That's Bible. How many remember that Jesus nowhere along the way said, hey, follow me. I'll make you rich. Hey, follow me. I'm going to make you the greatest singer of all time, and everyone's going to love when you sing. Hey, follow me. I'm going to make you the greatest accountant ever. Hey, follow me. You're going to have a great, your Facebook likes are going to be amazing. You will have the biggest friend group. You'll have thousands. It's not what he said. I love that. How many know the way we see things ain't the same way he sees things? You see, this church fully believes that they were poor. You know why? Because their, their circumstances said they were poor. But you know what speaks louder than circumstances? You know what he called them? He says, you think you're, you're poor, but you're rich. This tells me this church had to be surprised by this letter. Here they think we're probably the least, um, this is probably the least of the churches. If, if they evaluated themselves by the way we would evaluate churches today in our society and around the world, we would say, they were, man, those, that church needs to get together. I wonder what they've been doing. I mean, why don't they just follow this 10-step way to success as a Christian? Don't they know? I mean, there must be sin in the camp. Why would God allow that? Well, he's having, to, he's having to bring them through something so he can purge them and purify them. I think a lot of these churches are going to be real surprised by the letter they get. Good and bad. Ephesus had to be really... I can see the church of Ephesus as I studied it out. They had to be like, we got it all figured out. We have had Apostle John here in our church. We've had Paul. We've had Apollos. We've had Timothy. We've got the greatest teachers. We've got the greatest theology. Just ask us. We'll tell you. We've got the greatest school. We've got it going on. And they get their letter, and Jesus says, I've seen all those things, and those are really good, but I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. You've left your first love. You know what's a beautiful thing in this, this letter to Smyrna? There is no but. One of the few churches of the seven letters, there's no but. He says, I see your tribulation. I see your poverty. He says, you think you're poor, but you're rich. There's no condemnation in this letter to Smyrna. Everyone else is thinking they're the little, you know, there's something wrong with them. They're totally surprised, I believe, when they get this letter. It's all encouraging. It's all uplifting. They're saying, you're doing a good job. Just because things aren't going well doesn't mean that you're not doing a good job, church. Just because you're facing some opposition doesn't mean you're doing a bad job. It, doesn't, it probably means you're on the right track. We need to quit telling people when they get sick. It gets amazing. You just, everyone walks around singing Kumbaya, and we have s'mores all the time. and we just, It's just beautiful. 
just say this prayer. Everything will be great. That's the stupidest thing we could tell people who get saved. I mean, life wasn't great before Jesus, but the devil wasn't too worried about me. I was already on his side. I was already on his team. But when I was like, dude, I'm actually on the other team, and I hate you, and I'm coming against you now, and I'm on God's team. Oh, he don't like that. So he's going to have all kinds of stuff try to come against you. He's going to try to have all kinds of opposition come against you. And, and if you don't understand and you think, I'm doing something wrong, he's going to say, yeah, you are. You're not righteous enough. You're not holy enough. You haven't read the Bible enough today. You haven't. Those are all lies. You are holy enough. Why? Because the blood of Christ was applied to you. Amen. You are righteous. Why? Because he made you righteous, the most righteous one. Because I'm in him, and he's in me. I'm not poor. I'm rich. I don't care what your bank account says. If you're in him, you're rich. You're rich. This life's but a vapor. We're investing. How many, how many have investment? You can invest in this world, and it pays little dividends. You can invest in the kingdom, and it pays for eternity. Amen. I don't really care about this life a whole lot. You're rich. The church was being persecuted by Rome and the Jews who rejected Christ. Can you imagine? The Christians and the Jews, ultimately, they're serving the same God. This may sound familiar. What the heck? What team are you guys on? I thought we we're serving the same God. But there was these Christ-rejecting Jews who were, every time the church of Smyrna, they didn't burn their incense. They didn't bow. They hated the, the, the Smyrna church. So they had, Rome was against them, and the Jews were against them. Remember Paul? Paul would go around and hunt up the Christians. Paul was the leader of the Jewish church. Persecuted all these Christians. This is what is happening. This Smyrna church is, they are being pressed and squeezed and under attack. Besides them being poor, Smyrnans readily accepted Caesar worship. For about 10 periods of time, Caesars were worshiped. And they were called, they were worshiped as gods, as the supreme God and Lord. And if you didn't do that, you had a problem with Rome. Now, how many know that may be a conflict for a Christian? It should be. I better take a big drink on this one. <clears throat> Smyrna worshipped Caesar. Very political place. Now, I've offended a lot of folks in the last six months or year or however long I've been pastoring, um, or my whole life. <laughs> um, and it's not really my purpose. I'm not like, yay, who can I offend today? Um, but there's been a group of people probably that have been not offended. And today's your day. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Trump worship. Trump is not my God. Amen. Trump is not someone that I, I 
model my life after. Trump isn't someone I tell my boys, boys, model your life after the president. <laughs> now, let me say, I am very thankful that President Trump is our president. But I don't worship him. I don't worship him. Here's what I, I told the, the group last night when we got together and prayed. Wednesday morning, when I wake up, if President Trump's the president or he's not, it ain't going to change a whole lot for me. I could promise you I'm going to wake up, and the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to, you're going to say, oh, he's going to pray. No, I'm not that spiritual. The first thing I'm going to do is I walk to the coffee pot. <laughs> I make a cup of coffee. Then I sit down, I open up my Bible, and I spend time with the Lord. I read the word, and I pray. That's what I'm going to do. And you know what I'm going to do after that day? The same thing. You know what I've been doing ever since I've been a Christian? The same thing. When President Obama got elected, you know what I did? I got up, drank a cup of coffee, opened up the word, spent some time in prayer, and I went to work. And then when he won again, I did the same thing. I don't worship presidents. I'm grateful that I pray for our president. That's what we did last night, but I don't worship him. Are you hearing me? Yes. Trump is not my savior. Right. I've already been saved. Yeah. I've already been saved. Right. Amen? Yeah. They were worshiping Caesars. Smyrna's didn't. Each year, a Roman citizen in that day had to bring a pinch of incense on the altar and required publicly to say, Caesar is Lord. You might think, oh, I would never do that. You'd get a formal certificate that you had done so. You wouldn't be able to sell, sell your crops, purchase things, if that wasn't, if that wasn't uh, done. This was a huge test for Christians, and many who refused to do it perished at the stake, were burned at the stake, or they were put out into the arena with wild beasts. I love that Jesus says, I know your suffering, I know your tribulation. I'm the first and the last who was dead and came to life. He says, I know what you're going through. He sees his church. He's with us. And there's this whole other side, and you hear all kinds of this in a different way today. What's the big deal? What's the big deal, Pastor Steve? You're kind of overboard on some of these things. You're kind of, it's just a little pinch of incense. What's the big deal? It's just a little pinch of incense on the altar. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. I, the Lord knows I love him. The Lord knows my heart. These are things I hear. The Lord knows my heart. It's just a pinch of incense. It's just a couple words. What are you putting on the altar, church? There's all kinds of altars out there today. What do we sacrifice on, on altars? That strange fire. That's the Lord's smell. What is that? Ooh. I'm bringing these things, and, I, and we're in a time, and, because it's very crucial times that we're in. This isn't a time to be messing around. This isn't a time to be just lackadaisical about your walk with God. It's a very serious time. He's coming back. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. How many know children want to, obey, want to imitate their father? Yes, most kids, when they're four and five years old, what do you want to do? You could 90% of the time, it's whatever their dad does. 
He's telling us, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us in offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Another translation says it this way, as a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord. How many like to smoke meat? I love that smell. Like, that's a sweet-smelling savor. That is what Jesus' life was like when he sacrificed himself on that altar. It was a sweet-smelling savor. The Bible says in Hebrews that he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. It's a sweet-smelling savor. He was pressed and squeezed. How many of you want to be like that? How many, how many, you guys remember those old commercials? Um, how many know, remember what being sure is like? Raise your hand if you're sure. It was a deodorant. Raise your hand if you're sure. I want, I want to be a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. I don't want him to come around me and go, Whew, you were ripe. Ooh, what is that smell? You guys following me? We get squeezed and he goes, Oh, oh. How many smell death? Like if you ride motorcycles, you smell that. Those of you who drive cars, you don't smell very much. You could be driving through somewhere and you're like, something's dead. There's a dead animal on the side of something. It, Ooh, I want to be a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord, amen? I love that Jesus says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. He tells them they're rich. Hold on, one more thing, verse 9. But you are rich, and the blasphemy by those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. We know in the, the Ten Commandments, there's a commandment that says, do not use the Lord your God's name in vain. That's blasphemy. Most people think that blasphemy is using it as a cuss word. Instead of saying, you know, you would never think to use your mom's name or someone your grandma you really loved as, as, as a curse word and people use God's name. That's definitely wrong. But I think we get a real good picture of what blasphemy really is to God because he says, to those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Maybe blasphemy would be when we call ourselves a Christian and don't act like one. So now I'm going to make everyone else mad. When we say we're a Christian and we vote to support abortion, we support the homosexual lifestyle, we support transgenderism, we support teaching those things to our children who are innocent and get their minds warped and twisted and wonder they don't know if they're a boy or a girl anymore. And there's a whole side that is pushing, not just those things, but that it grows. See, it was just abortion. Now it's all the way to the, even if a child is born through an abortion and they're still alive, we have a right to kill them. This is what it's, this side is going. It's going to the extremes now, whether you were a Democrat 50 years ago, and, and that's a whole different thing. The, the party's not the same. But no matter what the party, if it was Republican, I would say, I'm on Jesus' side. 
Child sacrifice is wrong. And it's not your body. It's a different DNA. You call yourselves a Christian. And you can say, well, I'm not voting. So what if you were the only one to vote? Because by not voting, you're voting. You have an opportunity to put a vote towards the Lord, towards Christian beliefs. To a vote towards a party or a platform that says, I agree that abortion's wrong. I agree that homosexuality is wrong. I agree we shouldn't put those stuff in our, in our schools. I agree we should side with Jerusalem. I agree that social, socialism is evil. I agree that we should stand next to, to, the, to Israel. I agree that the word of God is sacred and holy. Amen. I don't know if you watched the two parties, the, the uh, conventions. If you didn't, it was so plain as day as a Christian to see this was dark and evil. This was light. If you, if you can't see that, I would literally say, you've heard me say, who has bewitched you? Who has cast a spell over you? I don't worship him. I wouldn't even care to have lunch with this president. Just being honest. But I am so thankful that he is our president. Because if church... If he is in our president come Wednesday, it won't be long, and you can say, I'm very familiar with the Smyrna church. Popular message today. Do not fear. More than, and I, I, I don't misinterpret what I'm going to say. More than, more than applause, I want to see us do this. Amen. I'm not, I'm not nothing special. I'm not, I am the biggest tool the Lord has ever used. <laughs> well, you use Paul, but I don't know. I'm, I love that Jesus tells us, don't fear what you're about to suffer. Don't fear. Don't fear. The church is so afraid. The American church is so afraid. I'll put it that way. The church around the world isn't afraid. The church around the world is, is they understand this letter to Smyrna. We think, now there was 10 periods of Roman persecution, as we're about to, about to see, where millions of Christians were burned at the stake, and fed to lions and to beasts and to animals. Millions. Now, why I'm talking about socialism today is let's put some things in perspective. In the 20th century, from and through socialism and socialistic countries, more Christians were persecuted and killed in the 20th century than all previous centuries of persecution of the church. Study some history. If that doesn't scare the snot out of you, socialism is evil. 
It has killed more Christians, more martyrs has come through that than all of the Roman persecution for the centuries. Through the Dark Ages, everything. But the Lord says, don't fear what you're about to suffer. Don't fear. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death. There was 10 periods of persecution through Rome. It started with Nero and went on through 10 different leaders. And through that time, it was some of the greatest and most tremendous persecutions and evil things done to, church, to the early church. But they didn't fear. This church is still there today. This church followed through and did what God asked them to do. We need to do the same thing. Fear needs to be broken off of us. I love that Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't give any false hopes. And when you read these letters, he didn't say like, so it's going to stink for a little while, but don't worry, it's going to get better. No, actually, he let him know it's going to get worse. He said, don't be afraid. He didn't give any false hope. He didn't give like the message that the churches have been throwing around for the last, I don't know how many years of prosperity and, and everything's great. Everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. Just, and all these prophecies are just, oh, it's amazing. They're, prophets don't always bring good news. Like somehow, shape, or form, like we're taught to believe that all prophecy is encouraging. And if it's not encouraging, it's not from the Lord. What the heck? Prophets will come in and go, something's dead. Something needs to change. Something ain't right. Not like, what's that beautiful aroma? <laughs> oh, you've done something new with your hair. That's amazing. No, a prophet's going to be like, uh, what the heck? Now, he will. There will be exhortation. There will be encouragement when, there's, when it's needed, when it's timely. But they'll also bring a word of truth that will cut so that the cancer will get cut out and that you'll live. Yes. Remember when there was prophets and they would say, don't get that guy. Don't bring that prophet. Every time he prophesies, he basically tells the truth and he gives me bad news. Bring me all the prophets that will tickle my ears. Yeah. Jesus don't tickle our ears. Read John 8. <laughs> Read John 8. He said it, it's going to get worse. He promised that if they keep the faith, they would receive the crown of life. That's where it gets good. Church, he said if you keep the faith, you'll get the crown of life. That was, that was a term. It was the Stephanos crown. Greek for, for Stephanos crown, it meant the victor's crown. It meant that, ick, you might go through some stuff, but if you keep the faith, I'm going to give you a crown. Church, one of these days, we are going to be in heaven, and we, I don't, I can just picture like this parade, and there's going to be all kinds of like just worship going on of the Lord, and they're going to come through. Can you imagine the Lord placing a crown on your head? The victor's crown. That just gives me chills thinking about that. The victor's crown. If you keep the faith. I want, to, I want to talk a little bit about this for a second. Physical death cannot rob us of the new life we received in Christ. This is something, this, this new life, I love it. Physical death can't touch it. Physical death can't touch this. 
Physical death can't touch the Christ that's in you because he's the resurrection and the life. It already touched him, and he bought, he's got the, the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And he is the victor. Amen? It's very simple. As Christians, when we die, we win. You need to see it that way. Like, this fear of death on the church, and it's so weird for the American church because all the other churches around the world, they don't have that. They sign up to become a Christian knowing that they'll probably have to give their life. They're under persecution. All around the world, the majority of the churches are under persecution or threatened, and they know it's going to cost me something when they sign up. I'm probably going to lose a bunch of friends. I'm going to lose some family. I may get excommunicated out of where I live, or I could give my life. There's no secret. Jesus said, you want to follow me? The American church, somehow we must believe, like you say the prayer and everything gets better. As a Christian, we should not fear death. There's, there's no fear of death. When you, when you truly understand and believe that when I take my last breath, I'm getting the crown of life for being faithful. That doesn't just come from being a martyr. Just from your last breath, whenever that day is, it's, it's the greatest day. And I'm not trying to be morbid or twisted. It's the truth. It stinks for us that are here when we lose our loved ones. It, oh, I want to use a different word. It is not good. But it gets so much better when we truly understand that to be absent from the body as a believer is present with the Lord. And our last breath that we take on this earth, no matter when it is or where or how, you are instantaneously in the presence of your king. And he is bringing a crown of victory because you've overcome and you stayed in faith with him. Even though there was persecution, even though there was trouble, even though there was hardships, you didn't quit. And you get the Stephanos crown. And I know many loved ones throughout my life that are there and they have received that. And that is not sad. It's sad that I can't hang out with them right now for this little short time of a vapor. But I am going to be in eternity with them for all time. Dancing around the throne. Living life like I've never lived before. And I'm telling you, I really don't care how it goes in this life. I'm so convinced of this. My goal, my goal is to die. That's my goal. My goal is to not breathe here anymore. That's my goal. To be absent from this body. Now, we're not doing stupid things so that happens. But I'm not going to be scared of it. And you should not be scared of it. A Christian has no business being afraid to die. Because you already died if you're a Christian. Your life, you gave it up and died. That's why you were baptized and it represented going under the water and drowning that old life and a new life coming forward. I learned something this week. If you're born once, you'll die twice. In Revelation, this passage of scripture, the end, if you were listening, said, and the second death will not harm you, Smyrna. If you're born once, only once, you'll die twice. But church, let me tell you, if you're born twice, you'll only die once. If you're born twice, you'll only die once. You will never have no second death. You'll never not be a part of the Lord. You'll never be separated from him. 
You will always be with him, absent from the body, present with the Lord. We have nothing to fear. It is our graduation ceremony. It is our goal. That's how you can have the polycarps. Let me tell you about polycarp. And then we're going to have to wrap up. Polycarp, the bishop and the pastor of the Church of Smyrna. This is history. If you don't believe me, look him up. He was taught by John the Apostle, by other apostles, left Ephesus, went to Smyrna. This guy is like my hero. Right under Jesus now, Polycarp. Goofy name, but I, this guy's awesome. He led this church. Now, in that day, a lot of Christians were putting incense on the altar. A lot of Christians were. A lot of Christians were saying, hey, you know, I got I to put food on the table. They would have these big ceremonies. And, and these, the leaders of Rome would come and gather in Smyrna and fill up that auditorium. And they say, watch, we'll have all these people give their allegiance to, to you, Caesar, and to Rome. And they have this big spectacle. And all these Christians, they, everybody, they go through, they get their certificate, put their incense on. Well, Polycarp was not having any of that. Polycarp was a pastor that's like, he's off the hook. Literally, like, I like this guy a lot. He would, one time when he went to Jerusalem, he just told it how it was. He went to Jerusalem. The head of the Nicolaitan church was there, and he got all, like, puffed up with Polycarp. And he says, do you know who I am? And Polycarp, Polycarp said without missing a beat, yeah, I know who you are. You're the son of Satan. <laughs> that's how Polycarp wasn't, like, the most educated but he had heart. He didn't put up with stuff. So all these people are putting incense on the altar, and Polycarp is going like, hey, this is wrong. People, you got to stop this. There's one God, and his name is Jesus, and we don't bow to no one else. So these ceremonies start happening. Now Christians start going, I'm not going to do it. I'm not putting the incense on the altar. And they're going, yes, you are. If you don't, we're going to feed you to the beast. And the Christians started saying, well, then I guess you better feed me to the beast. Because we're not putting the incense on the altar. I'm not, I'm not saying Caesar is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And off they go. And, and the government's getting ticked off. Because this is supposed to be a big look. Everyone's following the orders. They're not following the orders. And many, many Christians start dying. So they go, Who, who's behind this? Who's turning these people to, to not swear allegiance to, to Caesar? Well, there's this old man at this point. He's like 91 years old, old Polycarp. And he said, what? 90... Well, tell him he needs to knock it off. Well, he ain't knocking it off. Polycarp ain't having no part of it. So much so that they're coming after him. And, and, and now he's not being dumb because the, they tell him, Polycarp, you need to leave because they're coming. They know where you live now. They're coming to get you. So he says, all right, I'll, I'll move. So he goes to a little further outside the city. Well, then a few months go by and they find out where he's at and they're coming. And Polycarp just very simply says, I'm not running anymore. He says, you know, what? my life's in God's hands. Because if they're going to come and get me, then they're going to come and get me. Let God, you know, he's in charge of all this. On the way, he's praying, and he has a dream, and he sees fire in his dream. So he knows, I'm probably going to get burned at the stake. Here comes the soldiers. They come knocking on the door, and, and they're begging him. Polycarp, go out the back door. We can get you out of here. He says, no, I'm not going. Polycarp makes a meal. He says, hey, you guys hungry? You probably, it's been a little bit of a journey. You guys thirsty? Sits him down makes dinner, feeds him, gives him something to drink. And he says, would you mind if I prayed for an hour? I said, well, no, I guess so. You can pray. So he had, that definitely was Pentecostal because he took two hours. 
He said, you give me an hour, I'm going to take another one. So he prays for them. He prays for, the, he prays for the believers. He prays for, I mean, he's just praying for two hours. They finally say, it's time to go. And they, they take him to the arena. They get in front of the, the tormentors and the persecutors. And they tell Polycarp, hey, you need to put some incense on the altar. You need to, you need to handle this. And, and he says, no, I'm not going to do it. He said, well, then we're going to feed you to the, to the lions. And he says, well, then prepare them. I'm, I'm not, I'm not Jesus is Lord. I'm not saying Caesar's Lord. So in that day, atheists were called Christians because Christians didn't believe that Caesar was Lord. So he said that the guy told him, he said, Hey, if you will just, you know, say that atheism is wrong. Well, don't even say Caesar's Lord. Just say that atheism is wrong. So he said, okay. And so, Oh, really? That gets everyone's attention. So then he says, all of you atheists that don't believe in God are wrong. Oh, it infuriated him. It, it totally, he upset the apple cart. So they say, Polycarp, we're going to burn you at the stake. This is how hardcore Polycarp is. He says, well, go ahead and build your fire. He says, in an hour, that fire will be out. He said, but the fire that's going to consume you will last for eternity. So they gathered up the wood. And in those days, they would, they would nail your hands to the, to the beam that they would burn you at so you couldn't flee. Polycarp told him, you don't need to nail me to the beam. He says, the love for my Savior will keep me on this beam as you burn me. So they just wrapped his, his, his arms in some rope, and they lit the fire. And if you don't, go read your history. This fire began to come up, and it began to swirl around Polycarp. And it didn't consume him. And this history says that there was a smell, a sweet smell that came, like they were roasting him. But he didn't die. That infuriated him even more to where they went and got the sword and they told the executioner to run him through. So they ran him through and his blood began to spray out and it put the flames out. Now as they were taking Polycarp in the arena, he had heard, he heard the words and everyone that was there heard that from the heavens, Polycarp play the man. Now I haven't figured out exactly what all that means yet, but I believe that it means you play your part, don't play mine. Polycarp, you play the man. This is the role. This is what you have to do today. You play the man. Don't play God. Don't try to figure it out. This is what I'm learning, church. The things that we, we don't understand. We don't, God, why? Why do so many people have to die? How come there has to be martyrs? I've learned that, and Jesus taught this, unless a seed goes into the ground. Unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it won't produce a harvest. Now, let me read to you what happened after this. For 10 periods of time. Christians were killed and tormented and thrown to the lions and tortured and killed. But death and the forces of darkness were not able to stop the spread of the gospel. Listen, church. And the growth of the church. By the time of Emperor Constantine, there were so many Christians that, that made Christianity Rome's official religion. Through all that persecution, all that death, all that hurt, Christianity kept growing and thriving and growing and thriving and more and more people got saved more and more people would see them go into the arenas and have peace on them and go I'm not bowing I'm not putting my incense on the altar I'm not saying Caesar's Lord and they go what is it what with these people they must have a love for this God and they would examine go what's going on and they bring more and more people to Christ here's what I know it is not sad someday if something happens to me and through my death if one person came to the Lord it's a beautiful thing because I'm already set. I'm already going. 
And if I die and other people come to the, to the Lord, that's a beautiful plan. And God loves us. Why would we think if he would send his own son to come to this earth? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Why would we think we were more precious than that? Because he wants to see this world saved. He wants to see people who are lost become life. Those who were dead become life. Those who were dark become light. Our life is a vapor compared to eternity. I pray that the fear of death leave so strong that there's no fear on the church. Persecution is supposed to just squeeze us and make that sweet smelling aroma of Jesus come out. When we go through hard things, things we don't understand, we don't have to question, does he love us? We know he loves us. We don't have to question, is he good? We know he's good. Only a good God could use things like, only a good God could allow his son to come to this earth who was holy and righteous, who never sinned, and pay the price for us to be holy and righteous and before his eyes as if we'd never sinned. Don't ever question, is God good? It's the stupidest question there is. Don't ever question, does he love me? He gave his son for you. The best he had so that you could be with him. So that that image that it got marred by sin would not be marred anymore. You're so precious to God. You're so precious to him. But you're not so precious that he just puts you up on a, on a shelf like a little shrine and idol and have people worship us. No. He's so precious and we're so precious in this world and the lost and those who've committed a 10 abortions, 20 abortions and the homosexuals and those who are messed. They are so precious to him that we must be willing to be crushed or persecuted so that they would get saved. It's not about us. I don't know where you're at today and been doing this every week, but I'm going to keep doing it because people keep getting saved. I don't know where you're at. If you, if you are not, if the Lord, church, the Lord is coming back. He's going to come and in millisecond. There's going to be the sound of a trumpet. And the dead in Christ are going to rise and those who are right with God are going to be caught up with him in the air. And if you're not right with him, you will be left. That is, that is not good news. The good news is that Jesus came so that you don't have to be left. You could be with him forever. If you don't know where you would spend eternity today, I would love to introduce you to Jesus because that your eternity will be sealed. I don't care what you've done in your past. There's not a sin that's big enough that the blood of Jesus doesn't cleanse. There's There's not a night dark enough that the light of the gospel won't come and shine light in it. I don't care what the excuse is. The no excuse is going to stand. When you stand before him one of these days, there will be no excuse. You won't say, well, my dad did this, or my mom did this, or I was left, or I was abused, or I was hurt. None of that's going to stand. He said, I gave you my son. I forgave you. If you're not right with the Lord today, you need to come to this altar. You need to come to the altar. Today's the Bible says today's the day of salvation. Don't wait. The Holy Spirit's knocking on some doors right now. Be bold.
Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father. Today's the day of salvation. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time. If Look, the Holy Spirit's knocking on the door of your heart. Get up out of your seat and come to this altar. And one of our pastors and myself, we will lead you to the Lord. All you have to do is say, God, forgive me. God, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. Please come and forgive me. From this day forward, I'm going to follow you from, for the rest of my life. I don't know what it's going to look like. I told God, I don't know if I can serve you or not. I don't know if I can do it, but I'll give you my best shot. There's no perfect prayer. You just humble yourself. You say, God, I need you. God, I need you. I don't want to go another day without you. I don't want to be left. I want to be with you forever. If that's you, stand to your feet. Don't be afraid. If you can't fight through this little bit of opposition right now, you're not going to be able to fight through the opposition to come. Make no mistake. You count the cost. You give God everything, all your hopes, all your wants, all your dreams, all your desires, all your plans, your future. You give it all to him, and you say, God, I'm following you. And let me tell you, those are good hands to be in. Those are the best hands to be in. Yes, it's scary. It's like standing on the edge of a cliff, and, and he's saying, jump, I'll catch you. So you jump, and guess what? He catches you. It's called faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You're going to have to take a step of faith. I'm just going to tarry one more minute. He's a good God. He's a good God. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Even though you walk 